I'm warm. That was too much work there at the end. I almost yelling so much, I almost lost my voice. I don't know what's happening. Um, whew, grab your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, right? I mean, it is, after all, Christmas time and summer right here. And so uh, tonight we'll be in Luke chapter 2 for a little bit. And uh, I'm, whew, I'm excited about the week of uh, VBS right here. I mean, uh, we've been busy. Uh, we've been busy as a church. You know, we've had a week of the Spurgeon meetings. We had a week for all the teens going to teen camp. And don't worry, teens, I have not forgotten about having you give camp testimonies. Um, and so next Sunday night we were going to do it, but we have Brother Rumsey with us. And so what I'm going to do is Wednesday next week, not this Wednesday, we got VBS, obviously. Next week, Wednesday, all that service is yours, all right? And uh, if you don't go long enough with your testimonies, then I'll preach some, but, or pastor will, depending on how he's feeling. And so somebody's preaching that night if you don't go long enough on testimonies. We'll take up a prayer request and do that, but uh, that Wednesday, I'm going to try and make sure you guys get to give your testimonies. So what I want you to do is if you have your camp testimonies, write some stuff down. I don't want you to forget it. I know a lot of times we do them spur of the moment and you're remembering things. Don't do that this time. Uh, give it some thought. Write down some things specific you want to make sure you mention. And don't worry if somebody else says something about the message you talk about, all right? Praise the Lord for what he did for you, all right? So, um, all right, enough time to find Luke 2, I hope. You couldn't find Luke 2 in that long. Somebody help him, all right? Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And so we have probably the only time I have ever turned in July to preach a message out of Luke chapter 2, but here we are. And it is July, July 31st, we're still in it, all right? And uh, so here we are. Uh, once again, we know the spot, 
Uh, this is familiar if you've been in church any time around Christmas time. More than likely, you've heard that passage read. Uh, you've probably heard a message out of that spot. You've heard it read over and over and over again and all those things. Uh, but uh, I want you to think about this passage here and hold your place here. But I want you to turn over to Revelation chapter 4. Turn over to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, the Apostle John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of a thr the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face of a, as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts each had, uh, had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now here you have the picture of heaven. The door in heaven is opened. You get a glimpse into heaven and what John gets to see that day at his first glimpse is God Almighty sitting upon a throne with those four beasts crying, Holy, 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 and the four and twenty elders round about the throne and they're casting down their crowns and they're praising Him. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And that is the scene that's in heaven that's happening continuously in praise to the God of the universe. But in Luke chapter 2, we read about the entrance of the God of the universe robed in flesh, stepping down into mortal man's flesh to step down onto this earth. And tonight, I just want to talk about some exchanges that took place that day and some exchanges that take place if you'd be willing to make the exchange. And so let's have a word of prayer. We'll talk about some exchanges tonight. Father, I thank you for the night. I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that it will wash any man of their sins just like it did earlier today with Zach. Father, it can do it again, Lord, tonight with anybody who has never done so. Father, they can call upon Jesus Christ alone to save them. Father, I pray if someone here tonight is without the Savior, they wouldn't leave that way. They'd realize they need a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus Christ. Father, we pray you would bless the hour, bless the moment, help those of us who are saved to get what we need tonight out of the Word of God. 
that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up this evening, and that, Father, you draw each and every person in this room and in the sound of this message closer to their Savior tonight. Lord, we pray you'd get the praise in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. I want you to think just for a moment. Uh, you have the picture in heaven. You have exactly what's happening in heaven there in Revelation chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 2, you have the entrance of Jesus Christ, God, manifest in the flesh. John chapter 1 makes the declaration. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Later in the chapter, right, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, God, manifest in the flesh. 2 Timothy chapter 3 declares Him. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3 declares it. And tells you exactly that. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels. He shows up. God Almighty shows up in the flesh. Do you realize that He exchanged some major things the day that Luke chapter 2 was, was happening? Realize in heaven, He is sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And He takes that throne and He sets it aside. To be born in a stable in a manger. Where they feed the animals. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a fair exchange. That the God of the universe would step down from His kingly throne and step down to wicked, sinful earth to go ahead and be born and put down in a manger. As He rises from that throne, He lays down His royal robes only to be wrapped up in swaddling clothes. Scraps. That's not, that's not fancy, you know. We've got, we've got Elijah, he's got, his, uh, he's got his swaddle, weighted sleep sack. You say, what in the world is that? I don't know. Um, I couldn't put him in it, I guarantee it. All right, praise the Lord, Melanie's got that all covered. So what does that do? Oh, it swaddles him in, and then it's a nice comfy weight on him, so it keeps him laying the direction you want him on his back, you know, and it's supposed to comfort him. And That wasn't what Jesus was wrapped in. He was wrapped in rags. He was wrapped in whatever they could get to wrap him up, to keep him tight and swaddled and put him down inside of a feeding trough. Because nobody had any room to take care of the God of the universe. You realize that he goes ahead and here he's got the praise of the cherubims, the four and twenty elders. In the next chapter, it's a host of innumerable Angels that are praising the God of the universe. And an angel shows up and says, Hey, uh, shepherds, just so you know, uh, there's, there's the king of the Jews showing up. A savior showing up. And they glorify and praise him. But I guarantee you the praise of the shepherds was nothing like the praise of the glories of all of heaven. Some pitiful shepherds show up and go ahead and praise. That's amazing. But that's nothing like the glories of heaven. Say, what happened? The Lord goes ahead and He already does. He, he steps down off that throne. He lays down that robe. Those angels stop the praise of basically Him because He's stepping out to get somebody else's praise. And He leaves a perfectly sinless place 
for an absolutely sin-filled place. He left a place where nothing defiling can ever get in. To step down here where man at his best state is altogether vanity. To step down out of a place that was so pure and so sinless and so perfect to then step down here where the imagination of his heart is only evil continually. That's what the world is. The wickedness of man is great. Where our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? And the Lord steps out of a sinless place to step down to a sin-filled place. In heaven, He's the absolute object of all praise. He is the one that everybody is praising all the time. He steps down to the face of this earth and He is left with mockery and ridicule. Oh, He's a glutton. He's a wine-bibber. Illegitimate child. Oh, by the way, let's mock Him and crucify Him. He left all the praise and all the glory to go ahead and let them make fun of him. He goes ahead and lays down the crown of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He sets that down off of his brow. Only later to have a world plate a crown of thorns and drive it down on his skull and parade him out and mock him and make fun of him as the king. That doesn't sound like a very fair exchange. It's not. That's not a fair exchange. Jesus Christ, he didn't deserve any of it. You know what Jesus Christ deserved? He deserved to stay seated upon his throne, high and lifted up, have the angels praising him, have all of his creation praising him, have everything around him be all about him and his glory and his might and his majesty, everything about him still be crowned with glory, all of it still crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, all of it. He didn't deserve anything he got when he showed up here. But he gladly made the exchange. He chose to make that exchange. That rich young ruler, the Lord looked at him and he said, Hey, uh, how about you sell all that you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. That man goes away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. He didn't have enough possessions to match up with the king of the universe. Who gladly left all of that to go be a pauper. Because he understood why he was making that exchange. Look back at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus made, made an unprecedented exchange. He exchanged absolute power and absolute glory and all the praise to step down as veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. He steps down because he had some things he wanted to accomplish. There's a reason he made that exchange. 
There's a reason He left the glories of heaven to step down onto a sinful earth. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, Jesus makes the statement, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, there was a plan already set that God would come and show up in the flesh. There was a plan already in order, ready to go. Before God ever laid the foundations of the world, God understood that mankind would fail Him, and God said, don't worry, I already know I'll have a Redeemer. In the Old Testament, He reminds them, hey, beside me there is no Savior. That's the Old Testament. The Savior hadn't even shown up yet. But He already had a Savior lined up. He goes, I'm going to fulfill all those prophecies. You get back in there, and uh, that little town of Bethlehem, O Bethlehem of though thou be smallest among the... Out of these shall arise a king. There he is. And what's he doing? He's just fulfilling. He's just fulfilling everything that they said about him. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3, all the way out, he just keeps fulfilling. His job, why did he come? Because he said he would. So he's fulfilling. All the law and the prophets, he lives a sinless life to fulfill everything they said about him. To fulfill all righteousness, he goes ahead and lives. Because you and I couldn't live a righteous life. Look over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, I apologize, I didn't look up at the clock when I started, so I'm guessing, alright? But Matthew chapter 9, look at verse number 13, Jesus says it again. He says, but go ye and learn what that meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He goes, hey, you know what I came for? I came to fulfill all the law and the prophets, and by the way, if I could find a sinner, I'd go ahead and call them to repentance. So what does that mean? Call and let them know they're going the wrong direction. They need to change. They need to make a change of direction. They need to go a different way because that's not working for them. Yesterday we were out on the streets and we were preaching. You know what we were just trying to do? Trying to get people to realize they're going the wrong direction. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man. I'm a good person. I'm all right. I'm fine. I cannot tell you how many times we heard, Jason and I think made the comment, how many times we heard the phrase, no, I'm good. And you're like, no, you're not. You're not good. You're not good. It's not okay. You're a, if you're a sinner, that's because you're breathing. You're a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that makes us? We're not good. We're not good. Jesus made the statement, there's none good but God. There's one person in all the universe that's good. It's God. You and I aren't good. We aren't good to go. We're not all set. I'm not fine. Everything's not okay. Until you get a Savior. Until you've changed direction and chosen to go the right direction. And He says, hey, I didn't come to call the righteous. So I thought you said there's none righteous. No, not one. There isn't anybody righteous, but certain people think they are. That's who he was dealing with. He was dealing with people who thought they were righteous. And if you think you're righteous, I can't help you. 
Dr. Ruckman always used to say, if I could just find me a sinner, I'd have something great to tell him. I'd have a message for him. If I could just find a sinner. Why? Because he called, came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The hard part is trying to get people to realize they're just a sinner. You deal with people. I dealt with somebody uh, there at the Bible handout we were doing. Right? Talking to them. Well, I'm pretty good. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, I, I mean, everybody tells lies. Okay, well, the Bible says nothing defiling can enter in, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Not and maketh a lie, or maketh a lie. See, everybody goes, well, I'm not, I'm not a complete abomination. <laughs> I'm not so wicked. I haven't killed anybody. I don't go around beating everybody up and just taking everything that I want. I'm not terrible. I mean, I don't deserve to go to prison or anything. Okay. Have you ever told a lie? Because <laughs> just one makes it so you're unfit to step into a sinless, perfect heaven where Jesus Christ was seated before he came down here. Because it would defile the place. He says, boy, if I could just find some sinners, because I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners to repentance. Say, why did he come? Verse number, chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 11. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. In Luke chapter 19, He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord's looking for somebody who will admit, hey, you know what, I'm lost. That's one of the greatest descriptors of someone without Jesus Christ as their Savior. I think that's one of the greatest descriptive words you could ever imagine. We realize somebody who's lost, you know what they are? They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going. And they certainly don't know how to get where they're going. Say, what's a lost man spiritually? They don't know where they are in relation to God. They just think, well, you know what, I'll be okay. They don't know they're condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't recognize they're condemned already. They don't recognize, well, I mean, I'd like to go to heaven, but they don't know where that is. They have no bearing on where God is and how to get to Him. They don't know that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. They don't know the way to get to God. And they have no idea how to reach the expected end. They're so turned around, they can't figure out which way is up and which way is down and what do I do and how do I get where I'm... That's a perfect description of a lost man. You know what the Lord's trying to do? He showed up so that He could find some sinners that are just lost and give them the direction to get them to a sinless heaven. Because in Matthew chapter 20... Verse number 28, he says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. 
He's looking around, you know, he says, hey, if I could find some sinners, I'd help them to repent, I'd get them to change direction. Because they're lost and i got to give them the direction they need. And by the way, I'll pay the way that they have. I'll pay for it. The ransom has been paid. He's about to pay it here in just a few chapters. He'll be, he'll be crucified. He'll give his life a ransom for many. He's about to be beaten and whipped and scourged and ultimately nails driven through his hands and through his feet and he will hang there and bleed and suffocate and die to pay the debt of our sins. The goal of Jesus Christ, the reason he would make such an exchange was so that he could give his life a ransom for many. The life of Jesus Christ is so amazing because there is nobody else that could do what he did. There isn't anybody. Mankind has already failed, so man is out. We don't have a solution. We don't have a solution. We can't get to God of our own means. There's no way. But the angels aren't good enough. You realize something interesting? I didn't say this this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. You have the seraphim there. Isaiah chapter 6. Here the king Isaiah died. I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And he talks about those seraphims. And then he says, Woe, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And the, cher- or the seraphim goes over, and what does he do? He takes tongs to grab a coal of fire off of the altar. They say, well, that's because it's a hot coal. He puts it in his own hand with the tongs. And then he puts it to Isaiah's lips. You say, what was, why couldn't he just grab it off the altar? Because he wasn't clean enough to touch the altar. Even the seraphim praising him, God goes, he's not clean enough to touch my altar. He still has to separate just a little. So what does that tell you? That tells you they aren't good enough to have made the sacrifice Jesus Christ makes. So why didn't He just have an angel go? They aren't clean enough. They aren't good enough sacrifice to take care of the sins of all of mankind. There's something there that's not good enough. And so God says, there's some things I have to take care of myself. And so you know what I'll do? I'll take the crown off of my head. I'll lay down my royal robes as I rise off of my throne of all of the universe. I'll set aside all the praise and the glory and the majesty that I have and I'll step down and I'll wrap myself up in a veil of sinful, what would be sinful human flesh to everybody else. But to Him, He lives the perfect sinless life. What would be a failure to the rest of us is the greatest success you and I could ever have imagined. It is the victory that you and I could never have gained. It is the price of everybody's redemption that could ever be. It is the payment for all of our sins. His statement is, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. The God of the universe goes ahead and He sets aside all of His majesty to do what? 
to be likened to us. And to be in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. To be the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. To give His life a ransom for many, He says. To go ahead and lay it all down so that you and I could have our sins forgiven forever. He had one mission. I do always those things that please the Father. He gets there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is down to the end of his life and his statement three times is, Not my will, but thine be done. He says, hey, if we can find another way to pay for the sins of all of mankind, can we do that? And the Lord says, no, we, we can't do that, son. And his son says, then yes, sir, let's do this. That's why I came. He came knowing the end result would be that his life would be laid down to give his life wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. He came knowing the price of all of man's sin was the thing he would have to pay for to make it so that he could give you a free gift of eternal life. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Jesus Christ makes the exchange from the glories of heaven down to a sin-filled earth. He does it because he knows that he needs to pay a ransom for the sins of all of mankind to make the sinner and the lost man come to repentance and be redeemed and taken care of. He knows he's the only one that can do it. So he steps down and he humbles himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He goes ahead and humbles himself and he becomes obedient unto death. He goes ahead and gives his life a ransom for many. That's why he steps down and makes the exchange. He makes the exchange because he needs to make it possible to give you an option to make an exchange. You say, what's the exchange? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21 is the most amazing exchange you are ever going to see. For he, that be God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Jesus, he didn't know sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You say, what's he doing? He's setting it up. He made an exchange so that he could set it up for you to get an exchange. If he doesn't make that exchange, you don't have an option to get this one. And as soon as he makes that exchange and he fulfills all the obligations that he had and he finished the work of him that sent him and he goes ahead and he's nailed to that cross and he says it is finished and he gives up the ghost, he has finished the work, it's all over with and he says, okay, now you can make an exchange. My righteousness for your sinfulness. The righteousness of God now imputed to me if I would trust him. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The exchange is, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm wicked. I know God is holy. I know Jesus died in my place. I know He died and suffered to pay for my sins. He rose from the grave to give me victory, proving that He's the Son of God, and I'm going to trust Him alone. And God says, you know what I'll do? I'll trade you my righteousness for your sinfulness. 
I'll pay the wages of sin that's death for all of eternity for you. And you can have eternal life in my son. How about you? But that doesn't sound like a fair exchange either. That first exchange, that one didn't sound fair. Jesus leaving the glories of heaven. You know what else isn't fair? That God would let me into a sinless heaven. That doesn't sound fair, but that's exactly what he did. In Romans, he says that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. God wants to be just. He's got to be. He's got to be on the right side of doing everything right. And he says, you know what, I'll be just by justifying. Somebody's got to pay for the wages of sin. So I'll let my son die and I'll give them my righteousness. That is unbelievable. So I already did that. I think most everybody, if not everybody in the room, has done that. I like getting reminded of it. How often do you think about that day that he just made that exchange for you? I got one more exchange, though. Go to Romans chapter 12. I got all these verses here piled up. I could go all over the place. This doesn't show up once or twice. This is a repeated thing. Galatians chapter 2, he says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You already trusted Him as your Savior. You've already made the first exchange. You say, man, my sin's already taken care of. I've got Jesus as my Savior. If you were to ask me today, I would tell you I know 100% sure I'm going to heaven. I like this. I looked at Zach this morning. After he'd asked Christ to save him, I said, hey, Zach. Because I'd asked him this to start with. I said, hey, Zach, are you going to heaven? He said, yes. And I said, why are you going? He said, because God forgave me of everything. Yeah, that'll that'll pick you up for the rest of the day right there. Somebody looks at you and says, say, what's the next step? That you'd exchange your will for His. That you'd go ahead and say, you know what? I don't need to do things my way anymore. I'm going to exchange and do it his way. You know what that'll do? That'll make Revelation chapter 4 a reality down here for you. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy Pleasure they are and work great. Say, how can I do all that? How can I give him glory and honor and power by doing all things that will please the Father? Jesus' statement is, I do all things to please the Father. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if you could finish out a day and said, boy, today I did everything that my father would have liked me to do. I mean, just one day. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing just to get through one day and go, I did everything the father asked me to do. That'd be incredible. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could go an hour and say, I finished a whole hour (laughs) and did all things that would have pleased my father today. So far, I lasted an hour. Then you get to two hours. Say, how, how do I make it to a whole day of pleasing the Father? One moment at a time. Just trying to walk with Him one moment at a time. Just giving up your will for His will every time. So you made that sound easy. It is that easy. We mess it up. Why? Because we choose our will. You know, Jesus Christ made a huge exchange the day that he left the glories of heaven to go ahead and make it possible for you and I to make that exchange and get his righteousness. It is no less. It is a reasonable service to say, you know what? I'm going to do things his way. I'm going to reside to the will of the Father. See, Paul makes the statement, right? He beseeches the Lord thrice that he'd take that thorn in the flesh away from him. It's not a problem to go, hey, Lord, are you sure about this? Hey, Lord, I'm not sure about that. Didn't the Lord go three times and go, Lord, we got another way? Father, we got another way? I'm not saying you don't get to ask questions. But when he comes back with, yes, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, well, then maybe like Paul, you might want to be, well, then I'll, I'll most gladly glory in my infirmities by that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what he'll exchange? I said it this morning, Isaiah 61, he'll exchange beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Say when? When you do it his way. His exchanges are way better. Haven't you realized God has so much wealth and power that he doesn't care that he gets the bad end of the exchange? How do you know that? Because he got me. He got the bad end of that deal, I'm telling you right now. He got the worst end of that deal he could possibly have gotten. And I get all the benefits. I get more benefits when I do it his way when I resign to the will of the Father. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. There's your Christmas message here in July. Some great exchanges. I hope you've made the exchanges. I hope you've exchanged, at least I hope you've exchanged your sinfulness for God's righteousness. I hope you've said, hey, you know what, God? I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve hell for all of eternity. I do not deserve heaven. Father, please forgive me of my sins because Jesus died to pay for all of them. I hope you've done that. If you haven't done that, I will gladly take a Bible. I'll do exactly what I did with Zach this morning. I'll open a Bible. I'll have somebody else open a Bible. You know what they'll do? They'll take you through all the pages. They'll answer whatever questions you have. If you want want to answer questions, we'll get questions answered. And we'll show you out of the Bible how you can know. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. 
If you're in here tonight and you can't say, I'm 100% sure I'm going to heaven, the Bible can make it so you're 100% sure you're going to heaven. Not because of me, not because of any other preacher, not because of what everybody else says. It's all about what God said in the Bible. We'll open the Bible and we'll show you. If you're saved in here tonight, maybe you go, boy, I'd like to do all things that please the Father. He's worthy. He's worth it. He deserves it. Especially when you think of all the things He set aside to make sure you could have it. Maybe tonight you need to go, Lord, I need to make some exchanges. I apologize for not doing things your way. If you're not saved in here tonight, we'll ask you to come forward. Just get my attention. If you're saved in here, maybe you need to come down and just do some things and talk with the Lord tonight. Father, I pray you would bless the night. I thank you for all you do. Thank you for all you've done for us. What a marvelous God and a marvelous Savior we have. I pray if someone here tonight doesn't have that as their Savior, I pray they'd call upon you tonight. Lord, I pray you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.